And we continue to worship him by taking his word and seeing what he says to us and seeing how he wants us to think, seeing how he wants us to live, seeing what he wants us to say, seeing how we can bring glory to his name in these lives, in these bodies, in this body that he's given us. Take your Bibles and turn now to Psalm 139. It's on page 344 in the Bibles that you'll find in the backs of the chairs. 344, Psalm 139. As we continue to acknowledge that we're living in a new year, we're living in a new era, we've got a new opportunity to see things clearly. And we can use this year, because of the uniqueness of it, 2020, to examine our vision as we compare the way we see things to the way God sees things. Psalm 139. This is one of the great psalms of David. The shepherd boy, the king, the man after God's own heart. Inspired of God as king, as prophet, He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there... Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together In my mother's womb, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth... Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. 
Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offense, if, if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now I'm going to ask you to do something that's very difficult because you've been brought up properly. Take a look around just for a minute. I know this is hard. You've been taught not to do this in a meeting like this. I'm giving you permission. Just take a look. You're getting a bit of a glimpse of what I get to see on Sunday morning. And I, and I mean get to. I really appreciate it. And this morning, as we begin to look at God's vision, the vision that we should have, the eyesight that we should have concerning people, you're the people that we get to see first, us, this, this body, as we think about this. And, and right now, I want to thank God for all of your mothers, for protecting you and bringing you into this world. Some of them did it when times were tough and they didn't know how they were going to take care of you. And they had other options, but they didn't take those options. They brought you into this world. Others of you, your mothers brought you into this world and you don't even know who your mother is. Because she loved you so much that in her predicament, in her situation where she didn't think that she could take care of you, she made sure that you got to somebody's home that would take care of you and that you'd be loved. I praise God and I thank God this morning for every single one of our moms for doing what a mom is supposed to do. Because the word of God, which is where we get most of our understanding of the way God looks at things and the way God sees things. I say most because he also gives us his creation. We're going to talk about that today as well. But we look to the word of God and we find out how he wants us to view people. And in this passage that we looked at this morning, although he says many things in it, one of the primary things he says in it, and the thing that I want us to focus on for a few minutes this morning, is he looks upon the unborn with excitement and with enthusiasm because he knows what's in store for that child. He knows why he made that child, and he knows what's coming down the, down the pike, so to speak, for that child. He values those children still in the womb. Now, this is a, this is a day when, when many churches around our country, a focus on 
the life of those babies still in the womb. And we, and we, we call it, in many circles, we call it the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Because we believe there is something special about human life. I had Mark read from Genesis chapter 4 this morning because we learned something about life in that, in that passage. In the first passage on murder, we find out about life. What did Cain say to the Lord as he feared what was going down, what was happening? I'm not safe now because people are going to hunt me down and kill me. Why would he think that? Because there's something special about human life, and he just took it. And he knew, even though there was no law written yet, there was no word of God written yet to to instruct him, he knew, hopefully taught by his mom and dad, if not, he knew because it was written on his own heart in his creation by his creator, he knew there was something special about human life. And we look to the word of God specifically and we, and we see this verse. I think also in many of you have already come to this place where you've thought, hey, this reminds me of when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house. Do you remember that? In Luke chapter 1. You remember what happened when Mary, pregnant with the Lord Jesus, showed up to Elizabeth's house who was pregnant with John the Baptist? So that, that was a pretty cool a meeting, by the way, anyway, in history. What did Elizabeth say happened when Mary showed up in her house. She said, the baby leapt for joy in my womb. That's a baby. She knew that was a baby. Everybody knows that's a baby. God made us to know that. His word tells us. His creation tells us. The law written on our hearts tells us. And so... As we look at God's view of life, we recognize that he honors life even in its earliest phases. I'm so thankful that our state made the change that it did. And I'll be even more thankful when it continues to make changes and gets it completely right. But I'm so thankful that at least they're recognizing legally that when that baby's heart's beating, you can't kill it. And again, we'll continue to pray. And we've been praying for a long time about this. Since 1973, we've been praying about this. And finally, things are at least swinging back in the other direction where we're starting to honor and respect And remember how important these little unborn lives are. And this is a a hard thing to, to talk about. I'm so glad that David wrote about it so beautifully. I'm so glad that Luke told us the story of what happened in that meeting so that we know what's going on. But it's a hard thing to talk about because it impacts all of us in so many different ways. For those of us who haven't protected babies in our, in, in our wombs, it, it hits us. For those of us that, that have family members who, who haven't, it hits us. 
And this is a day, as we've, been, as we've been singing, of the grace of God demonstrated for us in the, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize that there is no sin too great for God to forgive. Cain was finding that out with the Lord. And that's true for all of us. It's important for us to remember that this morning. Especially when we're, when we're passionate about the subject and we, and we want the laws to change and all those kind of things. We have to remember that we're also dealing with real people going through real tough times and, hard, and hardships. And we need to remember that and, and treat each other with care and concern. But also not neglecting to share with each other the truth of God's word. And so I, I, again, as I've done many times, I give to you Psalm 139 in Luke chapter 1, as important passages to help you share with your friends, with your family members, as they go through the, the important decision-making processes that happen in our culture concerning the life of the unborn. Remember these things. Share these things with one another. But I also want us to remember, as I, as I introduced the subject with the reading from Genesis 4, that there's a whole nother argument for the value of human life and the life of the unborn. And that comes from that law which God has written on our hearts. And so I've asked Richard Howe, Dr. Richard Howe, to come and and share just for a few minutes, because he's a philosopher, the the understanding that we can share with those that we know within our family and friend circles and, and colleagues who don't respect the word of God. And there are plenty of people that don't. I want Richard to help, us, to, to help us begin to understand the kinds of things that we can share with someone like that who don't care what God's word says. We still have something to say about life and about the life of the unborn. So, Dr. Howe, come and share with us for a few minutes. Thank you. And I think we should welcome him in the proper way. <laughs> so, note January 19, 2020, a momentous date when a philosopher tries to say something in a few minutes, okay? So I appreciated you getting us to look around like you did a while ago. It reminds me, my brother Tom, who's sort of facetious, if you can imagine a how being facetious, he was preaching and, and he told the congregation, turn around and shake hands with the person behind you. Of course, everybody turns around and of course, everybody behind you is turned around, so everybody was still back to front the same way, so I'm glad you didn't ask us to do that. So, Dean made an allusion to Romans 2, 14 and 15. It talks about the works of the law are written on the heart. It's interesting because that verse occurs in a progressive argument that Paul is making where God has an indictment on the human race. And he talks about how all of us have fallen short of his glory. All of us have violated his law. But lest the reader wonder, well, now, wait a minute, there were many nations who weren't there at Mount Sinai. They didn't get the Ten Commandments that said, thou shalt not kill. How could he hold us responsible? In response to that, he says that God had written the works of the law on the heart. So even people who didn't have the law of Moses, and then by extension, our Bible, even those people can still be held accountable for what they do without the excuse of saying, well, I wasn't there when you told us not to do it. Now, let me ask you, what, do you what, what would you say this is? What is that? No, it's a picture of a spoon. I know, that's a stupid joke. No, it's a spoon, all right? Now, if you ask yourself, well, what is a spoon? What is a spoon? 
I would submit to you that what you would ultimately say is a spoon just is what it does. A spoon just is something that spoons, right? So if you are uh, eating your Honey Nut Cheerios for breakfast and you've got your spoon and somebody walks in, suppose they said, you're eating your Honey Nut Cheerios with a false spoon. Now, I don't think you would go, well, who are you to say I have a false spoon? This spoon was in my family. My grandmother ate from this spoon. How dare you say I have a false I think you would rather say, okay, I don't even know what a false spoon is. Because if what I have spoons, it just is a spoon. It doesn't matter whether it's metal, plastic, wood. If you took a spoon, cut the bowl off, it's a stick. It's not a spoon anymore, right? So we understand that philosophers would say, at least some would, the good ones, would say that a spoon is defined or understood functionally. It's just understood in terms of the function that it performs. Now, contrast that with this. First of all, isn't that the cutest baby? Okay. So there I am close to... January 23rd, 1957, so I was a, that was my one-year-old birthday. Now, when you ask, well, what is this? Oh, no, it's a picture of a baby. No, it's a baby. It's a human. I would submit to you, one of the problems that we find, is, we find ourselves in, as Americans especially, is the difficulty in trying to have this conversation about the unborn and abortion, because I think a lot of people in our culture for reasons that we won't go into here, have this functional understanding of human. So when we say that the zygote, the, the conceptus in the womb is a human, I think to a lot of people, we sound like the person who would be saying, suppose two guys are standing, they're looking down in a mine where metal is mined from. And they go, look, look over there, what? See that glint? Yeah, that's a spoon. You go, what? Right there, see the glint? Yeah, it's a spoon. That's not a spoon. It's not a spoon until you get enough metal together and forge it into a certain shape where it can perform the function of a spoon. And I submit to you, a lot of people think that's what, it is, that's what a human is. We look at the unborn, undeveloped in the womb, and we say it's a human. I don't think that they say well, I think you're wrong that it's a human. I think a lot of them don't even know what we're meaning because they think of human as some kind of minimal threshold of function. It's got a certain brain wave. It's got a heartbeat. It's a, it thinks about uh, the future. It's got a sense of uh, self-awareness. It's got a sense of humor. All these different criteria that people have offered to say, well, once it achieves that threshold, then it's a human. So as difficult and challenging as it may be under certain circumstances, in principle, what I think we need to help people understand is what makes a baby a baby as opposed to a spoon a spoon is rather than its function, it has a nature. It has a nature in terms of which it is the kind of thing it is as soon as it comes into existence, irrespective of whether it has a given function. In fact, I think you could go on to say, the reason humans achieve the functions that they do, heartbeat, brainwave, eyes, thinking, the reason we have that function 
is because it's nested in us as our natures. And as we develop those functions, if left to, them, to their own devices, they'll become what they're supposed to come. The nature, as a philosopher would call it, is what a theologian would refer to as a soul. Same idea in theology of we possess a soul. Spoon doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a nature. It just has a function. A human has a nature, has a soul. Soul, that track you could probably explore with people who do theology. The nature idea has more to do if you were dealing with people that don't even think theologically. Now, one more picture. What I hope we can do in another occasion, Pastor, is try to see, this is a picture of the Nuremberg trials. There's something very, very salient that occurred during the Nuremberg trials that has a direct bearing on how we can have the conversation as Americans today about the sanctity of life. So, as God wills, and we have another occasion to do that, Pastor, I'm throwing this out as a teaser, a trailer, for the opportunity perhaps to explore, well, what happened during the Nuremberg trials that connects with this whole thing about nature versus function? Pastor? And I will say this, um, regardless of when he has the opportunity to share further with the entire congregation, he'll continue to be a part of our question-answer time on Sunday evenings, that any of you who want to come by and ask any questions about these kinds of things will have discussion you know, on a regular basis about them. But the reason I wanted Richard to come this morning to, to introduce this, this idea is that we have the opportunity and the responsibility to have these conversations with people within our culture. You know what the children of our society have been taught about these things. We have to know that. We have to understand that. They're being taught that human life is valuable if it can function at a high level, at a human level. And, and, and we humans get to determine what that level is. We have to help them understand that that is not correct. That they've been taught wrongly about that. And we'll have the opportunity as we, as we engage with people you know, at work, in, in our associations at school and the teams and, 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 and classmates and all these kinds of people that, that, and people within our own families. We'll have the opportunity to help them understand what being human really is and why it's of value the moment of conception, which is when it becomes a human. And so we need to have this understanding so that we can share these things with others. And then also, and it's critically important that we remember this, that in this time that we live, in this era that we live, in this culture, in this society, in this country, we still get to vote. All right, this is a great thing that we get to do. Not only do we get to discuss things that we want to discuss with people, we also get to vote. We get to have an influence on who leads our country, on who makes the laws of our country, and who enforces the laws of our country. We get to have say-so in that. And so let me remind you again 
that with all the different confusion, all the different arguments that are going on in our, in our society, in our political arena, about all different kinds of things, remember this, that we're still dealing with life and death issues that are so much more important than all the other issues that we're, that we're arguing about. Vote about this subject of human life. Remember that. Remember how important this is. We, you know, when he showed that picture of Nuremberg, and, and we will talk about that, 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 was, that was the world trying to hold Nazi Germany accountable for what they did. It's a unique thing. Because there wasn't a trial for holding Stalin and his regime accountable for what they did. There's never been a trial to hold Mao Zedong accountable for what he did. And, and on and on it goes. And we think of all the terrible, you know, r- rulers, evil people that have caused so much damage on human life. But when we, when we see that picture of Nuremberg, makes me wonder the accountability for the lives that are being taken on a daily basis legally in the United States of America. And it is a sad, sad, sad thing. And so let's do our part in ending that by voting properly by learning these things from Scripture and from life, from, from his creation, from philosophy, by learning these arguments so that we can help people understand it, so that people as individuals will, will look correctly at the life that is within them. Because it goes beyond the, 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 the idea of abortion and, and, and that issue. It goes beyond that, but, but that's one of the things that we're going to be held accountable for. So let's take advantage of our opportunity to vote. Let's take advantage of our opportunity to discuss these things and to convince people. It's not, it's not wrong to try to convince people of right and wrong. It's not a wrong thing at all. They don't have to listen. They don't have to be convinced. But we can do our best to convince them of the value of every single life. I've shared with, with some of you before the conversation that I would have at 3 o'clock in the morning when Sherry and I were in China um, there to adopt our son, Sam. And he was five years old, and, and he, he had um, what, what the world would call problems. He had physical problems. He was deaf, and uh, they thought maybe he was um, mentally retarded. They, they knew he was bald, and he had been burned severely to the point they weren't sure he was going to be able to you know, walk right and all these kind of things. All these kind of things were, were going on in his life. And so in the, at 3 o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep because of jet lag and all that kind of stuff and probably stress, um, I would go down to the lobby to read, but I never got to read because I'd be surrounded by the night workers of the hotel because they saw me as an English-speaking person, and they were learning English, and they wanted to talk English with an English-speaking person. They didn't know that they were getting the Georgia version of it. <laughs> But in those conversations that they just wanted to talk and listen and learn how to speak, they were asking me, why are you adopting him? This was, their, this was everybody that, that would talk to me. This was their question. Why would you adopt him? He has no value. 
because their society was even further along in this whole idea of functionality than we are. In that society, there was no value on, for someone who couldn't contribute to the machine. And he wasn't going to be a contributor in their view. How little did he know? Little did they know. But even the things that he's doing now would have held no value to that machine. They were perplexed. Why would you care? Why would you spend money on something that can't contribute? They didn't understand value of human life. That's where, that's where we're going, folks. We're on a fast train to that city. And we, as responsible believers in Jesus Christ, as responsible human beings, we have the responsibility and the opportunity to help put the brakes on that train. Maybe we will just influence one person in our lifetime about these things. That will be a great contribution to the effort. That will be a great contribution to the fight that we're in. But see it as it is. God tells us, we saw it so clearly in his word. He tells us so clearly in his creation and the way things are in the law that's written on every heart. Cain knew it. They're going to kill me. I deserve it because I took human life. He knew there was something different about human life because God wrote it on his heart. He wrote it on our hearts. He wrote it on all hearts. Let's engage in that conversation. And may God use us to help our culture, to help our society, to help individuals within our context, within our sphere of influence, to help them understand the value of the life that God has given us and has given every human being. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, David said that there was a lot more for him to understand because you're such a wonderful God and your knowledge is so wonderful. But you've given us your book and you've given us minds and eyes and ears that we can see and hear and feel this creation that you've made. And you've written your law in our hearts. So we know when we're breaking it. And you know the calloused heart of our society, of our culture, when it comes to life, when it comes to human life, when it comes to the disabled, when it comes to the unborn. So use us, your church, to speak up for the little ones, the unborn ones, the handicapped ones, the ones that are growing in our culture increasingly invaluable. Help us to promote their value. And use us by the power of your spirit, 
with everything that we are, use us to help convince others of the value of the life that you have given every human being. And Father, we thank you for the great demonstration that you made that shows us how much you really value us. When you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to live and to die on our behalf, so that even though we were guilty like Cain, you would put a mark on us when we put our trust in Jesus that we would not have to suffer the consequences of our sins, the judgment from you that we would deserve, that you put that on Jesus so that we might have life abundant and eternal. And Father, for any who are here this morning who have not yet received that abundant and eternal life through Jesus Christ, remind them by your spirit. Draw them by your spirit. Help them to put their trust. Help them believe in Jesus, your son. That he is your provision and that he is our hope for abundant and eternal life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.